It was the summer of 1990. I had gone to the panhandle of Alaska to pursue an opportunity to pay for college by fishing with my aunt and my cousins, who had a commercial set net salmon fishing operation there since the 1940s. We would set these 200-foot nets across the openings of the rivers, and as the salmon came upstream, we would catch them in our gill nets. The river we fished on primarily was the Akwe River. Well, the fish weren't coming. So my big, strapping, risk-taking cousin, the focus there on risk, Dave says to me, the newbie, we need to find the fish, and I hear that there's fish up there at the Seatuck River. Well, we fish out of 22-foot aluminum skiffs with these 55-horsepower outboards. We typically stay within the river. We don't go out in the ocean, typically. Well, the only way to get to the Seatuck is to go out the mouth of the Akwe River into the Gulf of Alaska and motor 50 miles north to this other river with all these fish. Makes sense, right? Well, we put on our rain gear, our waders, our inflatable life jackets. We pack our boat with these two 200-foot gill nets, the 50-gallon barrel of fuel, tents, and camping gear. And I'm not sure if you can see that boat, but that's not that big of a boat. My cousin Dave, friend Paul, and I, we set out in our skiff. Now, the key to navigating in and out of these rivers in the Gulf of Alaska is to find the gut, the deepest part of the river where the crashing Gulf of Alaska waves are not near as intense. So as you approach the mouth, you hit the waves head on with full power, essentially launching over the wave before they crest. We found the gut of the Akwe, and with some good timing and some power, we were able to motor on through. The trip was uneventful, a beautiful 60-degree sunny day. We had it made, right? Well, we're about 500 yards offshore in the 50-degree Gulf of Alaska waters, approaching the Sea Tuck. And Cousin Dave sees what he thinks is the mouth and the gut of that Sea Tuck River. He points the 22-foot skiff at a 45-degree angle towards the shore, tells us to hang on, and we power on. Well, as we're going along, all of a sudden, the engine starts to sputter. We'd driven over the top of a sandbar, and the sand was in the intake and stalling out the engine. As Davis frantically started trying to restart the engine, we look behind us and realize what looks to be a 25-foot wave is building behind us. At this point, we've drifted sideways to the shore and to this coming wave. Dave is pulling on the cord just frantically, and the engine refuses to start. He continues to pull frantically, and the fifth time he pulls on that thing, the engine sputters to life. He immediately guns it and tries to point us directly at that cresting 25-footer. As the boat slowly, and let me tell you, my hands are sweating right now, as that boat slowly turns around, we hit the wave almost head on. As we ride up that wave, the nets, the fuel, the anchors, and we are all airborne. Going through my mind is the fact that the nets will inevitably fall on top of us, and if they don't take us down, the fuel barrel will certainly finish the job. It seemed like we were at the tipping point, airborne for eternity. But by the grace of God, and as indicated by the fact that I'm up here talking to you today, we came crashing down upright. Now that was a wave of change. And it certainly required us to change our underwear. Tim. Thank you, Tim, man. Um, Tim came to the first message on uh, Go Fish, and he was, he, he was so touched by the message, he went home and he, he thought of this story that he had, and he shared it with me, and, and I said, hey, I want to share that with the church. And this is like about a 30-minute speech that he gave there at work. And it was about change. 
It was about embracing change. It was about the, the ocean of endless opportunities. And what keeps us from change? What keeps us from this ocean of endless opportunity? What keeps us from fishing? What keeps us from going out into the deep? And it's what? It's fear, you know. Fishing takes guts, but our fear keeps us from fishing. Now, as we've seen over the last uh, two weeks, uh, Jesus called his disciples to, to follow him, and then he made a promise. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become, what's the words? Fishers of men. I'll make you into something that you're currently not. Fishers of men. Because followers fish if they're really following. To follow Jesus is to fish. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John, men, they dropped their fishing nets and, and they became what they were not. Fishers of men. And what we've been discovering over the last two weeks is that Jesus' agenda for his 12 disciples is Jesus' agenda for us. And just like he made them a promise, he makes that same promise for us. That if we will choose to follow him, we will become fishers of men. And see, the reality is that we, you know, we were all fish once. We were all in that ocean of endless opportunities, you know. And, and we're so grateful probably that someone fished us, right? And, and someone built a relationship and someone maybe invited us to, to Christ or invited us to church. We're so grateful that someone cared enough about us, mom, dad, co-worker, that they fished for us. And now we're caught. Now we're part of the, the fishing community, you know. And often we're thinking, don't expect me to go fishing. Don't expect me to share with someone else. You know, why should I fish? And last week we talked about that. We learned, I think, something that's so critical and important is that historical story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not intuitive. You can't go on some mountain somewhere. You can't go to some beach and meditate and find Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's historical. Someone has to tell you. Christianity is founded and grounded in the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only way to know history is for someone to tell you about it. Someone has to tell you. And so Christ has called us to follow him and followers fish. We have this responsibility to tell others. But the reality is most of us kind of shank on our responsibility, don't we? I mean, we go to series like this, we go to messages like that, and we leave thinking, you know, yeah, I need to fish. I got a, a mother or a brother or a father or a brother or sister or a co-worker that I, I really need to say something, invite to church or, you know, share the gospel with. And we kind of, you know, built, beat ourselves up a little bit. Maybe I'm not fishing enough, but the reality is most of us, we just, we don't do it. Because of what? Fear. We're afraid. Now, in your message outline, there's a question there. I'd like for each of you to take about 15 seconds right now, grab a pen if you haven't already, and answer that question. Here's the question. What's the one thing I'm afraid of that's keeping me, keeping you from fishing? What's keeping us from fishing? 
What are some reasons? What is your reason? What's keeping you from speaking up and sharing and speaking with, with boldness? What's keeping us from fishing? You guys writing down your answers? Got some answers? Canaan, will you be kind enough to see if we can jot some of these down? All right, what are some reasons? What's, what's keeping us? And, and let me just say, you know, I'm like a, a paid fisherman. I'm like a professional fisherman. That's a scary thought, you know. I mean, I'm paid to fish, and, and I want to know, man, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me too. And some of the fears I face are the same fears that you're facing. All right, so what's some of the fears? Someone raise their hand. Okay, go ahead. Rejection. Great fear. Rejection of friends. Rejection of neighbors. If I share my faith, we take that risk of being rejected. Very good. Somebody else? Being accountable. Being accountable to do it. Is that what you said? Okay. Very good. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Not sure what to say. Yes. Fear. Very good. Yes. Time, job, demands. It's easy to get so busy in life, right? Very good. What else? Pardon me? Not convincing enough, you know, not having the answers to some of the questions they're going to raise. Anybody else? What's, pardon me? My own sin, my, my you know, you know, what gives me the right? You know, to talk about how Christ has changed me when I, I still struggle. All right, my own sin. Very good. Somebody else? Pardon me? Judgment. Not wanting to come across judgmental of others. Um, very good. A anybody else? Don't know how to start. There's a good, honest answer. You know, and that's, we're going to talk about that in, in two weeks. Um, very, very good. Excellent. That's really, really true. That's the hardest part, I think is kind of getting started, sharing your story. Okay, excellent. Somebody else? I might fail. I might fail. Fear of failure, which is always very real. All right, this is great. We, we, don't, we don't have any more time than this. we got to move on. Um, but this is awesome. Thank you, Canaan, and thank you for just great feedback because we all have these fears, and fishing takes guts. And it's, it's hard to overcome these fears. And, and I think we're going to discover in the passage that we're going to study today how we can overcome our fears. Now, as we said last week, um, what we're supposed to share when we talk to somebody, remember Peter and John, they talked about what they have seen and heard. And what we're supposed to share is our experience. You know, it's, it's hard to argue with someone's experience, and we're going to talk about that in two weeks as well. I guess that's three weeks. We're going to talk about our story and, and how to share your story. Um, but our fears stand in the way. They stand in the way of us reaching our potential. Our fears keep us fit from fishing in that, that um, ocean of endless opportunities. And that same fear stood in the way of Peter, Andrew, James and John. It kept them from becoming all that God wanted them to be. I mean, do you remember the scene? Do you remember when Jesus was arrested, you know, there in that Garden of Gethsemane and, and how the disciples responded? They were scared. I mean, Jesus has spent a good three years with these guys. He's loved these guys and hate the, helped these guys. And they were cowards. They ran and hid 
in a room. They bolted the door shut. Someone said to Peter, do you know Jesus? And he denied it. A young girl said to Peter, you know, aren't you one of those Galileans? Don't you know that guy, Jesus? And he cussed her out. He was so afraid. He's cussing out a little girl. And the rest of the disciples, did they come to Jesus' side? No. They were afraid to show up. They were afraid to speak up. They were afraid to associate with Jesus when this was all going down. Just like some of us sometimes. We're afraid to show up. We're afraid and fearful to speak up. We're afraid even to associate or someone's making fun of of Christians or whatever. We don't even want to let the room know that, you know, I'm one of those, you know. We're afraid. And what I find so incredibly fascinating in this story that we're going to study today was those same disciples that were so scared to death to speak up. Sixty days, two months later, you can't get them to shut up. These same cowardly men moved against their fear and they became courageous witnesses to what they seen and heard. They became what Jesus had promised they would become. They had become fishers of men. And please remember, they had far more to lose than you and I will probably ever face, right? I mean, they could have been thrown in jail and likelihood of us in America being thrown in jail for sharing our faith is pretty slim. They could have died, and many of them did die for fishing. So what they had to face was a much greater fear than we have to face. But yet, they had the courage. They had the courage to fish, to fish. Something happened to change these scared-to-death cowards into courageous fishers of men. Now, if you have your Bible or if you have a... Uh, electronic device, which is great. Uh, Turn with me over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Now, Acts is the fifth uh, New Testament book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. That's great. You guys learned something last week, okay? Acts of the Apostles, which means it's the Acts, it's the events. The book of Acts tells about the events, what the apostles were doing after Jesus left and ascended back to the Father. And I think we're going to discover in this story why these men fished in spite of their fears and why you and I can fish in spite of our fears. Now let's look at Acts chapter 4. Let's begin reading with verse 23. Matter of fact, uh, this is where our story ended last week. So we're kind of picking up verse 20 is where we ended last week. So let's stand together and uh, let me read. You follow Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. And then when the highlighted part comes up, if you'll read that uh, together, one group, okay? We together? I'll read it first. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, these these leaders that we were just dealing with. 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon these threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with, what's the last word? With boldness, with boldness. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, the context here, for those of you that weren't here last week, uh, Peter and John, you remember this? They were on their way to go to the temple for daily prayers, and they came by the temple gate, and sitting by the temple gate was what? A slain, you were there last week, right? This lame guy, this begging guy, you know, he's by the gate, and, and uh, this guy has was been lame since birth. He's some 40 years old. And Peter and, and, they, and they thought Peter and John were going to give him a gift, a donation, you know. And, and uh, Peter and John says, no, nope, we're not going to do that, but I'm going to give you something else. And Peter uh, lays his hands on him, and he heals this lame guy. So all of a sudden, this, you know, this, this lame beggar becomes this running, leaping guy. I mean, can you imagine 40 years and never walking, and now all of a sudden you can walk? I mean, this guy kind of freaked out, and I, I kind of would freak out too. And so he's running around and dancing and screaming, and you know, in this temple courtyard area before you go into the actual temple, and the crowd begins to gather, and they recognize that's that begging guy. He's now the running, leaping guy. And they asked, the, you know, the begging guy, he said, you know, how did this happen? How you were crippled? And, they, and he pointed to Peter. And then Peter comes out and he sees a crowd here. And, and what did Peter do? You remember last week he grabbed his iPad and he kind of did a little mini sermon, right? And he, he starts preaching right there. And as he's preaching outside this Solomon's colonnade area, in the temple are the religious leaders and they hear all the noise. And so then they come out. And sure enough, there's Peter and John standing in front of the people. And they're preaching and they're talking to the people about Jesus. They say, man, this, this isn't good. This isn't bad. We just crucified that carpenter. There's that, that dead carpenter now, you know. His followers are still talking about him, you know. And so what they do, they, they, they take Peter and John and they put him in jail to try to intimidate them that hopefully they would stop talking about Jesus. They kind of tell him, you know, you know, if, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. You want to tell your kids about Jesus, that's great. But just keep it to yourself. Keep Jesus to yourself in public. It's not cool. It's not politically correct. Talk about Jesus in the public. And so they throw him in jail. The next day, they get him back out of jail. And this same guy by the name of Peter that just denied Christ three times, now 60 days later, he stands in front of all this religious heat and he says he cannot stop talking about what he has seen and what he has heard. He saw a dead man walking and it changed his life. And that's kind of where our story picks up today in verse 23. Look at verse 23 again. And when they, they being Peter and John, when Peter and John were released... They went to their friends, kind of like, you know, if I was arrested and I'd come back to your friends and tell you what happened. So Ray and, and John, you know, we, we come back, we're released, and, and report what the chief priests and the elders said to them. Now, if I was Peter and if John was John, I probably would have said, you know, man, that was close. I mean, we're lucky we're, we're alive. I think maybe we need to be a little more careful. 
John's a kind of safety guy, and he'd probably say, yeah, you know, I agree, man. We need to take it a little easy. Maybe we need to tone it back a little bit. We're offending people. The message is offending uh, the religious establishment, you know, and, and, and John, you haven't written your Gospel of John yet, you know, and you haven't written 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and, and I haven't written 1st and 2nd Peter yet, you know. I mean, we, you know, the, the same people helped take out Jesus. Now they might take us out, so maybe we just need to tone it down a little bit. Be a little quieter. Keep it safe. Don't create a commotion. Now, is that what happened? No. Something clicked inside of these disciples. These same guys that were running for cover, that were scared to death, something clicked, and now they're willing to fish in spite of their fears. Number one, why? They had a a proper perspective of what God was doing. Look at verse 24. And when they heard this, the people, they lifted their voices together. They prayed. Now, how did they pray and, and how would you pray? You know, as I study this passage of Scripture, I began to look at my prayers. And, and you know how I always start my prayer? How do you always start your prayer? I start my prayer the same way all the time. Lord, I thank you for this day. Isn't that what most of us, how we start our prayers? You know, and I am thankful for the day, but it's like I always start with, Lord, thank you for the day. And then it usually goes, you know, bless me, bless me, bless me, keep me, keep me, keep me, protect me, protect me, protect me, right? You know, and isn't that the way, you know, most of us pray? It's bless me, bless me, bless me, keep me, keep me, keep me, protect me, protect me, protect me. And as I read this passage, I, I, I wish I prayed more like the early church said, they lifted their voices together to God, and they said, what they say? Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord means God who is large and is in charge. Sovereign Lord. Suddenly, they began to connect all the dots Suddenly it was beginning to make sense that their sovereign Lord had been at work for generations and hundreds of years and even a thousand years. God has been at work behind the scenes and history is at this incredible, unbelievable point in time. And they see it and they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Then look at verse 25 who through the mouth of our father, David, King David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is going back to his mind as being a good Jewish boy. When growing up as a Jewish boy, he often was taught about the coming Messiah and how this Messiah would come and rule and reign. And and now Peter begins to quote from the second Psalm. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers, even the religious rulers, even the Jewish rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against God and his anointed. And the word anointed is the word Christos, the word for Christ. It means the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You see, they thought that when the Messiah came, it would be smooth sailing. They thought, wow. We found the Messiah, and it's going to be smooth sailing. And it wasn't. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city, uh, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, has predetermined to take place. Wow. It's beginning to make sense. We have God's perspective. And even though it looked like, God, that you kind of were losing control, that you were not in control, that the wheels were falling off the bus, God, God's bus, you know, it's becoming clear, God, that, that you've been in control, that you've been at work the whole time. Sovereign Lord. You see, when Jesus was arrested, they were praying for his release. When Jesus was crucified or getting ready to be crucified on a cross, they were praying for a miracle. God, save him, deliver him, don't let him die. He's the Messiah, don't let him die. They were praying against God's will, and they didn't even know it. And now they begin to see the whole picture, that God has a plan. And they're living right there in, in history, and history is being fulfilled in front of them. They had a aha moment. Their perspective changed to sovereign Lord. You see, we can overcome and move against our fears when we put our fears into the perspective of a sovereign Lord, a large and ultimately in charge God who is at work behind the scenes working for our good and for his glory. And we can become bold in sharing our faith when we live in the context of a sovereign Lord, when we realize that God is at work behind the scene and I'm just a player, I'm just a part of, of God's story and God's activity. You see, they moved against their fear because they had a proper perspective of what God was doing. And number two, they asked to be players in God's activity. Look at this prayer in verse 29. Man, I wish I prayed more like this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. I mean, look at that. Look, look God, just, just look upon their threats. Not like, God, get even with these people. You know, God, get them, you know. These people are persecuting us. They're, they're harming us. Not, God, don't let bad things happen to us. You know, God, I think they're beginning to realize God might want to use the evil and the bad. Somehow or another, God takes the bad and the evil and he, he brings about good. And who would ever think that and expect that? But they prayed, Lord, at least consider the threats. And then they ask for what very few of us ever pray. They say, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word, your truth, your thoughts, the gospel, with all boldness. You see, they wanted in on what God was doing. It wasn't about them and what they wanted. It was about God and what he wanted. It was about joining in God's activity and living for his purposes not their own and unfortunately most of us we don't fish and we don't fish with boldness because we are so self-absorbed with our own little selfish lives 
right? It's all about me. And we're more concerned about our wishes and our wants than we are about God and His wishes and His wants. They faced their fears with boldness because they understood that the sovereign God was doing something. And they wanted to be in on it. They wanted to be a part of it. And truly, at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? At the end of the day, that, that's what I want more than anything else, to, to know my life mattered, to, mo- to know that my life was used to be a part of what God is doing. Isn't that what all of us ultimately want, to be a difference maker? They moved against their fears because they had a proper perspective of what God was doing. They asked to be a player in God's activity in the number three. They spoke up when the opportunity showed up. Can you say that with me? They spoke up when the opportunity showed up. Jesus promised. He made that promise back in Mark for them to become fishers of men. And then he dies, he's resurrected. And the beginning of Acts chapter 1, he's getting ready to ascend. He's getting ready to leave to his father and he has a last conversation with his disciples. Now, last conversations usually are pretty what? Pretty important. And this is what Jesus says in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. His departing words. But you will receive, what's the word? Power, boldness, dunamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in Palm Beach County. In all Judea, in the United States of America, in Samaria, in in Canada, Mexico City, and to the ends of the earth. Now, according to this verse, why were they given the Holy Spirit? Why are we given the Holy Spirit? When we believe, put our faith in Christ, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Why are we given? What's one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit? It's to do what? So we'll be his what? Witnesses. So that we can bear witness of Jesus and what we've seen and what we heard and what we've experienced. Now the word witness comes from the Greek word martus. And from the Greek word martus, we get our English word martyr. To bear witness by one's death. We are to bear witness of what we've seen, of what we heard. We're supposed to give witness and bear witness to what we've experienced. And God has sent His Holy Spirit to give us the power, to give us the boldness to speak up when the opportunity shows up to bear witness. Look at verse uh, 31 of this passage. And when they had all prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was was shaken, man. You could just feel God's presence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you're filled with the Holy Spirit often. You're you're baptized. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your life. And then the Holy Spirit fills you again and again and again to help you do a task. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with, what's the word? Boldness. You see... The Holy Spirit brings boldness to help us overcome our fears, to bear witness of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me be very clear here what what boldness is not. 
boldness is not what I'm doing right now. This doesn't take boldness. You guys like me, I think, you know. Um, this is not boldness. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is not wild fanaticism. Boldness is not holding up a card at a, at a football game, a big poster that says John 3.16. That's not boldness. Boldness is not that guy at the Miami Heat game, you know, when you go in, he's standing outside, and you know, and he's on a box, and he's preaching, and he's telling people, you're a sinner, and you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus today. That really is helpful. You know, that's not boldness, that's embarrassment. Especially if you're walking in with an unchurched friend or somebody you're trying to build a relationship with. And think about it. I mean, does it take boldness to stand and do something like that? He's not going to get arrested. We have freedom of speech. There's there's no boldness there. There's not much to risk. He doesn't have any friends probably anyways. You know? There's something wrong typically in those situations. You know what boldness is? Boldness is that soft-spoken man who speaks up at work. And rather than saying, Happy Holidays, he says, Merry Christmas. And he says, Merry Christmas, even though he knows he might lose some accounts. Or maybe he might even lose his job. But he says, Merry Christmas. Boldness is when my, my wife goes over almost every Sunday and helps give her 88-year-old mother a bath who probably doesn't know Christ. Boldness. It's loving someone and caring so much that you're trying to build a bridge. That's boldness. When Jan gets to heaven, she wants to see her mother there. So she's doing everything she can to share the love of Christ. That's boldness. Boldness is having a meal with your neighbor or co-worker and inviting them to church, sharing your story. Boldness is, is just simply speaking up when the opportunity shows up. And you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit when that opportunity shows up. That's boldness. It's fishing in spite of our fears. You see, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they were not intimidated by Peter and John's personality or their volume. It was the power of their love. It was their fearlessness fearlessness to talk about Jesus when the opportunity presented itself. It was the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through their lives. And we, each of us, we need to ask God for His boldness the presence of God's Spirit in our life so we can speak up when the opportunity shows up. Can we do that? Can we, can we do that right now? Can we just bow our heads in prayer and close our eyes? And maybe this morning, maybe this morning you need to believe. Maybe this morning you need to put your faith in the good news of the gospel that there is a God out there that loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his son. And maybe right now you need to pray for the first time in your life, God, I acknowledge that I've sinned and I believe that you sent your son because you love me and I put my faith in him and him alone to save me. Invite Christ into your life right now. 
See, God is at work. He's inviting me and you to be players in his activity. And can we all pray right now to ourselves, God, fill me with your spirit. God, help me to see that you are a sovereign Lord, large and in charge. God, I don't need to worry. I don't need to be afraid about the outcome about what I say. God, I just need to fish. And I need to trust you for the words. And I need to trust you for the outcome. Can you pray that this morning? God, help me to fish. I want to join you in in what you're doing. Help me to speak up when the opportunity shows up. God, we're so grateful this morning for the incredible God that you are. We're so grateful that you love us, that you love this world, and you passionately want people to know the God that you are, the God of the Scriptures, a God of inclusivity, a God of love, a God that was willing to sacrifice and give his most precious gift, his very own Son, to save us to give us the forgiveness of our sins. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to go out with all boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.